Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of the Crimson Gaming Corner, your one-stop shop for everything here at the University of Utah. You can find us soon on all your favorite podcasting sites, soon on our YouTube channel. We've got a TikTok, a Twitter, an Instagram, pretty much everything you need. Today, we are going to be talking about CD Projekt Red's upcoming games, Google Stadia shutting down, and Overwatch 2's disastrous launch. But before we get started on that, I want to intro my guest, Michael, from what college do you go to again? Uh, Cleveland State University. Awesome. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself. Honestly, I am just your your go-to Dragon Quest, Dragon Ball fan, bro. I am a dragon enthusiast, essentially. I mean, you even got me hooked. I'm I'm watching Dragon Ball right now. I'm on like yeah. episode thirty. It's pretty pretty good show. I'm liking it. I need you to finish it by this year, hopefully. But if I okay, nope. <laughs> and real quick, tell us a little bit about your uh, your gaming history, kind of what where did you start? History. Yeah, stuff like that. Well, to get down to the nitty gritty, it all started on the VTech, bro. The VTech. We were playing the VTech. We're playing Aladdin platformers, cars racing games. I think there was even a Toy Story game in there too. And then eventually that all led to the DS and the Wii, mm-hmm. which was a solid ten years of my life right there. DS mm-hmm. Wii. Then I got the Wii U. And then about halfway into the Wii U's last I finally got an Xbox 360. And I only played Overwatch and Destiny on there. No, I, I got Xbox I got Overwatch and Xbox One. Okay. I got Xbox 360 first. Then eventually I got Xbox One just for Overwatch. Just for Overwatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was a pretty I mean, good investment. Pretty good investment. I mean, also, hey, you Battlefield also had... Ba- yeah, I was about to say Battlefield 1. We had a couple nights of that. That sounds pretty... What do you have right now? Have right now? <laughs> got the Nintendo Switch OLED. Got the new 3DS. Got the Xbox Series X. Got this kind of crummy PC. But it gets the job done. And, and you got a PS5 uh, coming on the way, right? Right, that's hilarious for sure, for sure yeah that's a funny uh-huh. joke yeah. we'll uh, never touch a ps5 well, at least last of us is coming to pc you'll be able to play mm. it i will buy mm. you mm. a copy if needs be all right nope. i'm gonna drop another 70 dollars on the overpriced remake listen i already promised you persona 5 that's all i can do and that's like what next week yep oh i can't wait ending off this little uh introduction i want you to do your top three games of all time. Top three can. games of all time? Okay. Gotta put Kid Icarus Uprising on there. Everyone needs to play that game. If you don't, if you can't play it, play it. Simple as that. We'll talk um, about it a little bit later, um, but I've got a Steam Deck and I've been running Kid Icarus Uprising and that is the best way to play. I, I think it's an amazing game. I was playing it on the 3DS, didn't vibe with it too much. Once you fix hmm. up the hand cramps and the controls, that's a great game. <laughs> Uh, also recommend Dragon Quest 3 specifically it it's just a really influential game of our time and people just don't know about it every RPG nowadays it's all built off of Dragon Quest 3 and they need to learn this they need to learn this they play it hopefully they will when the HD 2D remake comes out I'm actually so hyped for that you've made me very hyped for it love to hear that I love to hear that also, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, kind of recently up there in my list of favorite games. Mm-hmm. Like, 
peaks peak in the Xenoblade series, I would say. Is this like, you know, we were a couple months removed from Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Can you basically say that it's your favorite in the franchise, the series? Um, with so many quality of life changes, it is definitely better than 1 and 2. But I still love Xenoblade X's combat, though. That, I think, is still the peak of uh, Xenoblade combat. I see. I need. I still need to play X. Uh, over the summer, I played 1, 2, and then 3. Uh, I, like, beelined through those games, and it, it was honestly a magical experience. Like, I knew that they were good. I didn't know they were that good. Like, they've become one of my favorite series. Now, before we go on to our news topics of today, I want to let you guys know about everything happening here at the U, specifically for gaming. Starting off, thank you for sticking with us so far um, for this podcast. I want to build this podcast and this site specifically not for you, but with you. So please, I've got a form in the description that I'd love you guys to fill out to let me know how I can improve. I've got a Discord channel up where we are asking for feedback. You can chat with other Geekway fans, and you can also chat with the creators and the content creators from all of Geekwave. So please check that out if you are enjoying this. If you would like to be a future guest on the podcast and you want to talk about a specific game, like I believe later we'll be talking about Dragon Quest with our Dragon Quest expert, Michael, <laughs> uh, feel free to email me at j.day at studentmedia.com. Or, like I said, I've got a channel in the Discord, which is perfect for that. I will email you. We'll kind of chat for a bit, and I'll see if you are right for the podcast. Coming up, uh, we have a couple of events for Crimson Gaming and Gamecraft and stuff like that. On October 21st, we have the Crimson Gaming Halloween Party at 5.30, and that's going to be an SFEBB 130. And around the same time, we also have Gamecraft's second Game Jam, which you can actually go on their Discord server, Gamecraft, and you can sign up for that. If you don't have a team already prepared, they will find you one. It's a very enjoyable experience. I haven't done one yet, but I have heard of teams and I've spoken with teams who love the process. I've been to a couple meetings. If you are looking for game development tips, if you want to just get started, it is perfect. They offer any entry level, any experience, just if you're interested, please go do it. It's great. Also coming up on October 28th, we have D&D Raid Night, which is also going to be an SFEBB 130. So start prepping your characters for that. I believe the D&D Club meets every Friday. I'll have to double check that. And then for specific Crimson Gaming Discord, the channel has now introduced a watch party voice channel which is something that I've seen used quite frequently um, late at nights particularly. Uh, watching a lot of anime there, it seems like a great time. Um, so go over, hang out with friends, or make new friends as you watch whatever's on. And also at Geekwave, uh, as I said in the beginning, we've officially launched our own TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And I have also been working on the Discord server a little bit more. Um, so that'll be coming very soon. The site should be launched sometime in November, so check in for that. On our TikTok, uh, we also have coverage of FanX with PR, uh, who's going to be kind of interviewing some cosplayers, checking out booths. Uh, we'll be very excited to see that. And then this weekend, we also have the, uh, I believe I'm pronouncing this Banzai uh, convention. Um, which is going to be very anime-focused. Hopefully we'll see some Chainsaw Man stuff there, because I am very hyped for that. 
And that's pretty much all of the news here at the University of Utah. So we are going to start with the news section. Starting off, we've got CD Projekt Red's upcoming games, where the other week they unveiled about six or seven new projects that they are going to be working on. Um, starting off, we've got Project Hater, which is going to be a new IP, probably coming in, I would say, honestly, eight years. It takes me a while to make games, yeah. Oh, for sure. Then we've got two new Witcher projects. We've got a Witcher game from the Molasses Flood, which is a studio that kind of works on smaller games. Um, they're a pretty good indie studio. I'm excited to see that. We also have Project Polaris, which is a brand new Witcher trilogy from CD Projekt Red, which as we learned before, will be developed in Unreal Engine 5. Um, and they are planning for all three to be released within six years of each other. We also have Project Canis Majoris, which is a story-driven open-world Witcher RPG from a third party, which has not been announced yet. But before we go on to the cyberpunk side of CD Projekt Red, uh, Michael, what's your kind of experience with the Witcher games? Honestly, I have never played a Witcher game in my life. I've only seen snippets of the game, though I've heard it is held in high regards. For like the most recent one is also one of like the games of the decade. I want to say. Yeah, that definitely sounds right to me. Um, I played. I want to say I put a good fifty hours into The Witcher Three, um, and it's it's huge. Uh, it's way. I'm never probably gonna finish it, but I enjoyed being in that world. I started reading the books because I really liked it. So yeah, with The Witcher specifically, I'm excited to see how this is gonna work, especially Unreal Engine Five. Uh, but what do you think? about all three of these games being released within six years of each other. As you said before, uh, game development is long and it's tough. Do you think that they'll actually be able to achieve that or what's going to happen with all that? Well, uh, I mean, given that, uh, was it Project Sirius? That's going to a different studio. So I believe it shouldn't be too hard to get at least two games out within six years of each other. But a third game I'm not too sure unless they can somehow quickly switch gears from one game to another I don't see that being really high quality but then again I'm also basing it off cyberpunk which had a solid what six seven year development maybe even eight and it just got rushed out unfinished uh, I hope they learn from that and it's polished yeah, uh, I believe Cyberpunk 2077 was first announced in uh, 2012 with just a kind of cinematic trailer, um, which means it didn't come out for another eight years. And you could argue it didn't really come out until 2022 when they came out with, yeah. I believe, patch 1.5, which is when actually the bugs started to get fixed. It actually looked good. Um, I know that's when I personally went and played it, and I actually really enjoyed my experience with it in 2022. In 2020, I refunded that thing instantly. <laughs> so, yeah, the only... With the Witcher trilogy, um, my thought process is that they're going to build everything in Unreal Engine 5. They're going to get used to that. And then, hopefully, this is kind of something that I want. The biggest criticism of the Witcher 3 
is that it's almost too big, right? It's got too much too to big. do, um, which might be good, but also I don't. I know most of the people who have played it have never reached the ending. So I almost want these three next games to be at least a little smaller, and that's what I'm hoping. That's how they're going to release all six or all three within six years of each other. But I don't have a lot of faith, especially after Cyberpunk. Yeah. I mean, speaking of that point, the game being too long, I, I think they should take more uh, notes off of Cyberpunk, where, like, the story isn't exactly too long, but there's so much content outside of the story to do. That way the game still feels big, but still doable in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, if you want, you can just beeline the story, get to hang out with Johnny Silverhand and Pan Am, which we all love Pan Am. Um, mm -hmm. We can, you know, you can beeline that, but in my opinion, you'll be missing out on some of the best stuff that Cyberpunk has to offer, which is the side quests. Yeah, I'm willing to argue the side quests are better than the main story. They are a blast to play. Honestly, they really flesh out the world of uh, Night City. Honestly, I'm 100% with you. I feel like I enjoyed the side quests probably a lot more. I feel like they were more varied. They were more unique and creative. So as we continue talking about Cyberpunk, thankfully, uh, as they've you know, shown that they are dedicated to at least Cyberpunk 2077 with fixing it, releasing new content, we have an expansion as we've already gotten a trailer for it. It's called Phantom Liberty. Um, that's going to be coming next year. And then they also have announced that they have a sequel to Cyberpunk 2077, which will be titled Project Orion. So you have any thoughts about that? Honestly, I'm curious to see what the expansion is going to be first, because I'm not getting any spoilers, but like for the ending of Cyberpunk 2077, it was kind of ambiguous, really. I just don't see how you're... You can still be around Night City after what happened. And for a sequel, I, I kind of want to see what the rest of the world is in the year 2077. Because we only get to see Night City. I want to see what, what Japan's going on. What's going on in Japan? What's going on in Saudi Arabia? Let me talk about Saudi Arabia. I know in Europe, it's crazy weather over there. I want to see what's going on there. I hope they expand on that. That is actually a really cool idea. One of my favorite things, I'm with the release of the game, I was very hyped. I read as much lore as I could about it. Um, and one of my favorite things about it is just how they've we've just destroyed, you know, humans have just destroyed the world and there are only a couple cities that are still inhabitable. Um, do you think with the sequel, will we stick with Night City or are we going to take, like, are we going to be traveling or are we going to stick, like, to another city, maybe the one in Japan? I think Tokyo is the main one that's still alive in this world. Honestly, a sequel for a sequel, it might, we, we, they could take the story, like, in the past, you know, like, talk about what happened, not exactly with Johnny Silverhand, but, like, what the world was like before the corpos actually took over everything. I thought that might be a good um, good idea. It, it will keep us in Night City, though, but that might be the case. Yeah, I like that idea. So kind of more where the tabletop RPG kind of, I think that takes place in 2020, um, which is kind of ironic, but kind of where more where the tabletop RPG you think will get a game in sort of that time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like But, that. hey, I might be surprised. It might take it past 2077. It might be in the future. It could be in 3000 for all we know. Cyberpunk 3000. I like that idea. All right. And then one of the biggest things that kind of got announced as well, at least in my opinion, is that CD Projekt Red outlined its intent to bring multiplayer to these coming games. Um, something that they kind of rumored and was kind of leaked uh, for Cyberpunk 2077, um, but with all the other problems that was happening with 2077, it got canceled. Um, but they're still wanting to stick with it, uh, specifically in that Cyberpunk universe. Um, my question kind of with that is with how single player and cinematic these games are, do you think that they'll be able to create a good multiplayer experience in these games? Listen, I mean, it, it can't be that hard, in my opinion. Well, I mean, it can be hard, but it's just with GTA V Online, all you have to do is take notes from them. It's just, it's not that complicated to make it fun while also keeping it open for the player. Keep events open for the player, add a small little story there. Just make the city feel alive, you know? Because you know games like Watch Dogs, multiplayer and Watch Dogs, it wasn't really that fun. It wasn't the city to feel alive, it just felt like a sandbox. Yeah, I think that's a great idea of just kind of basically put GTA, uh, GTA Online in Night City, where you can take down different gigs, you can take down cyber psychos and stuff like that with your friends and be able to drive around in the city causing mayhem uh, I love that idea and hopefully it won't be too hard I would love to be able to hang out in Night City with all y'all and then last kind of thing with all of this is with all of these new games coming out I mean we've got a Witcher trilogy we've got two different cyberpunk stuff coming out how do you think CD Projekt Red is going to deal with crunch with these upcoming crunch. games? Honestly, that's the biggest problem. Because I'm, pr I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they developed the Witcher games alongside Cyberpunk, right? And we already see how Cyberpunk is a uh, kind of fumbled because of that. And then them doing it again, I, I just I'm worried that it's not gonna live up expectations again yeah I feel the same way with how much of a push there is to ensure that we don't have a crunch environment in upcoming game studios um, I'm a little nervous that they're being a little too ambitious uh, hopefully they just delay all of like if it gets a problem avoid crunch delay the games it's better to have a game that's better and took its time and didn't cause people to i mean question their career even maybe even their life if it gets to that, that point which i've mm -hmm. heard it has yeah. take notes from breath of the wild they delayed the game through an entire system they skipped the wii u essentially to get that game out and it became the game of the decade arguably I mean, Every single game nowadays, Breath of the Wild clone, Breath of the Wild clone. It's just that good. I mean, do you want to get started on how Sonic Frontiers basically took Breath of the Wild and was like, hey, I like that idea? I mean, I mean, they kind of did. 
but Sonic is you no know, a speedy character, so it's a it's a different feeling when exploring the world, you know. Yeah, for sure. But I I agree. Like Breath of the Wild easily became one of my favorite games of all time, um, and it, even if it came out in 2015 when it I mean it was supposed to come out in 2016, right? Yeah. Yeah, even if it came out in 2016 or if it came out in 2022, it would still be my favorite game, probably no matter <laughs> what. That game is a masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece. All right, so continuing on, we've got our second and final news story of the day, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, <laughs> but Google Stadia has closed down. Um, most of you probably don't even know what this exists, or I hope you don't. <laughs> Uh, basically, Google Stadia is Google's idea to get into the game streaming market. How it worked, I kind of messed with it a little bit. How it worked was you pull up Google Stadia in your Google Chrome browser, and you can stream the games. Uh, specifically, I think they had a collaboration with Destiny 2, where you could get a lot of the expansions and stuff for free through Stadia. Um, I actually have a friend on Twitter who played Destiny primarily through Stadia, which was interesting to hear when it closed. So, yeah, do you have any thoughts about Google Stadia finally closing down? Honestly, like, the concept of uh, Stadia, it's a great concept. Like, even Xbox has taken it. But it's just... Compared to Xbox, right, with Stadia, you're dedicating a whole console to it, which is just... Uh, why spend what four hundred dollars for cloud gaming that I guess is now useless, right? Meanwhile, Xbox, you can play just about every game on Game Pass on your phone, and that's just a great deal right there. You buy Game Pass to play online a bunch of games, and now anywhere you want to. Xbox is just—they have money moves. They're great. Yeah, honestly, it's—it was funny to me when Google Stadia you know got announced and it was a thing and it's like oh this is a cool idea and then xbox comes out and it's like hey uh we're, we're gonna try our hands at that too except we're gonna give you a couple hundred games uh we're gonna make it very easy very simple and i feel like that pretty much just drove stadia right into the ground after they charged 60 bucks for you to use the platform and then 60 bucks for every game after that no one was gonna be doing that yeah Oof. Great, great concept. It's just, I guess it was a little bit ahead of its time, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with talking about Xbox, real quick, uh, a couple days ago, as some people might have seen, uh, Phil Spencer put out a tweet celebrating Fallout's 25th anniversary, and up in the background on the top shelf, next to some like underneath a sword next to some gray Elden Ring art there was a smaller Xbox which some people have been theorizing is a Xbox kind of streaming stick which is just going to be able to plug into your TV probably going to cost only like a hundred dollars um so in my opinion hopefully that's a thing I think that would be a great idea Xbox is already as you said making money moves and I think this could put them even more on top, in my opinion. Now, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news here, but but Xbox did come out and say 
that it was an old prototype model. So there's sadly no streaming stick for Xbox yet. But See, did I they will say, say I would like that. Did they say it was an old uh, prototype for the Series S, or did they just call it an old prototype? They just said old prototype. So maybe if you want to twist the words a little bit, maybe, maybe it could be a new model. It could be an old prototype of a new model coming out soon. My thought process behind this is, Phil Spencer has done this multiple times. He, I think most iconically for me is, he was in like a business call or something and he put out a picture of it on Twitter. And in the background in his bookshelf, he had the Series S and nobody found it but he was trying to like get people to notice it he's done this before with the kojima statue um where he sent actually a very similar photo to the one about fallout um and in like the bottom right hand corner was a kojima sign and then a couple weeks later it was announced kojima would be working with xbox to create a game as well as death stranding coming out on pc so i wouldn't put it past phil to try and almost like hint at something coming out then again like you said I could be reading into it it could be a old prototype of a series s and we could all be very disappointed <laughs> yeah you always gotta keep your eye on Phil Spencer he's known for his shenanigans on Twitter and honestly I feel like that's what makes him such a great figurehead for Xbox where we've got like PlayStation with if you haven't been following, he's making a lot of bad moves, uh, stuff with like abortion and stuff with like games and just not not smart. And he's also really pushing for this Xbox Bethesda, or I'm sorry, Xbox Activision deal. Um, he's really pushing for it to not go, and he's kind of looking like an idiot when he's doing it. Mm. Whereas Phil Spencer is just. He like you know puts out these little things of like hints and little shenanigans and he's just he's a great figurehead for Xbox. Yeah, it's always nice to see game devs, studio devs express themselves on Twitter. Like you know, Kojima always giving his take on not only games but movies too, shows he's watched. And then recently we have Sakurai actually going into detail of all the stuff that goes behind the scenes making these games, where the concepts come from, how to make it, all the um, licensing and stuff. It's really nice to to see that now. It's fresh. It's freshing. Yeah, as a game development student, and I'm, you know, in Maya, in Unreal, and I'm learning all this cool stuff, one of the things that kind of is silly to me is how secretive the games industry is. Um, I mean, like the GTA 6 leaks, for example, Obviously, that was a really bad scenario where a hacker went in and got it. Like, all of this leaked footage that they didn't want out. But my question is, like, why? What's, what's bad about having that sort of openness with your fans and just like, hey, we're working on this. Here's a little sneak peek of what we're doing instead of what Rockstar is planning on doing of, hey, we're making GTA 6 and then three years having a very highly edited trailer of what the game might look like. I feel like there's stuff like some level of surprise to it, you know? You want to surprise your audience. Let them know, yes, we have this big thing coming, but you don't want to feed them little nibbles every like month. It just doesn't 
the hype doesn't really live there, you know? Yeah, I see what you mean. There's got to be like a balance to it where you still want to surprise, but you don't want to like, yeah, you don't want to oversaturate them. Yeah. them. yeah, with all this new like content about it. I feel like it's kind of happening with the, the Dead Space remake where every week I see that there's some sort of new video like, oh, we've changed this, we've added this. And at this point, I'm like, just let me see the game, let me play the game. I get that you're doing a great job remaking it, but something like that. I know Xenoblade also did this, and it actually worked just surprisingly well by keeping the game, keeping the hype up over the um, few months that it, uh, until it came out. They showed off most of the world in Xenoblade, most of the changes to combat, most of the character designs, and a little hints of their stories and it was really nice to see what you were getting into before actually going a deep dive in there and still be blown away by it yeah for sure they did a great job of handling this and i feel like nintendo in general has done a really good job with their new kind of release model that they've been sticking with where they announced the game and then a couple months later it's in your hands they did that with I think Paper Mario first. They kind of did it with Xenoblade, where like six they did months. They with 3D All Stars too. Yeah. yeah, 3D All Stars. I think the longest that they've done it recently is like Splatoon, which even then that was only like a year, year and a half. Yeah. I mean, the fact they pushed up Xenoblade and pushed back Splatoon, I think that was actually a great move right there. Honestly, it surprised me that they pushed up Splatoon. I mean, they pushed up Xenoblade of all games because I would think that would take more work than Splatoon. But Monolith Soft is just built different, I guess. You stole the words out of my mouth. They are built different. They can they can almost do no wrong at this point. It's insane. Oof. All right, and ending off our Stadia, which got a little sidetracked, but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> ending off our Stadia talk, I wanted to let everybody know um, one of the biggest things about Stadia closing down is the usual just kind of awful stuff we see in the games industry. A lot of game developers who were developing games for Stadia were made aware of this or of the Stadia closing in the same tweets and the same articles that I was aware of and that the rest of the games industry was aware of, which means that a lot of games that were supposed to be coming out on Google Stadia were just canceled and all of the time and money and effort that went into creating these ports or creating these completely new games is now scrapped and there's no compensation and it just sucks. Um, one game that I actually really enjoy, it's one that I played on Apple Arcade a couple of years ago called Tangle Tower. Um, they unfortunately saw this where Tangle Tower was due to launch on Stadia two days after the initial response that we are closing down and their about year or two work of making sure that the port was okay is just scrapped and they get no compensation like i said um it really sucks to see mm. yeah google stadia is just just the way they handled it i feel like they could have I feel like they should have done like a gradual shutdown, maybe something like that, instead of like an immediate shutdown. Mm. It's just, ugh, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it really does. The best thing is 
they are compensating if anyone owns Stadia out there and has put some money into it they are compensating for that and you will get refunds for that um, it just sucks to see that the devs are kind of just shoved underneath the rug and like not being compensated at all all right now ending off our news section uh, we're just going to kind of chat a little bit about what we've been playing throughout the week um, specifically I think we've both been playing Overwatch 2 and we have been dealing with the <laughs> amazing launch that that was uh, <laughs> you, you want to get started on this uh, oh my goodness man that uh, oh, the day one Ignoring queue times, okay? Queue times, it makes sense. Queue times are going to be long. But going in the game and finding out you have no data whatsoever, that, oh my god, that, how do you, me how do you mess that up? Like, the whole account merge system they had, you would think they would be merging accounts before the game actually came out. But no, they had, I think it was nearly a half a million accounts not merged yet. So the the merge queue was even longer than the actual queue. It was painful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It seems... I'm not sure how exactly it went. All my stuff was saved uh, when I finally got into the game three days after the release date. Um, which, to be frank, a lot of these queue times and a couple of these problems were caused by DDoS attacks, which there's nothing we can do about. It sucks that hackers and whatever are attacking this game. Um... But besides that, if we take that out of account, this launch has been arguably the worst launch of a game I've seen since Cyberpunk 2077. I'm willing to argue that Battlefield 2042, 2044 was a little bit worse than both Cyberpunk and, um, and Overwatch. I completely forgot about that game. As, yeah. as a Battlefield fan, uh, I have to agree, actually. Um, I'm just glad that I canceled my pre-order when I saw the reviews coming mm, in. Mm, you still mm. have the game, right? I do still have the game, yeah. Have you Even... hopped in at all to see if they've improved anything? I, I mean, I keep up with the Twitter. They do, uh, they do change it up a little bit. I heard it's improved overall a little bit, but I... I'm just, I'm scared to go back in there, man. I don't want to go back in and still be disappointed knowing that I spent like a hundred some dollars for it. You, spent, you got the ultimate. I forgot about Yeah. That. Oh. That's the biggest L of like the year right there for me. Well, <laughs> besides the launch of Overwatch and how you didn't get any of your stuff, I didn't get in the game for three days. Still, even last night as we're trying to play, half of the heroes are locked and Bastion's taken out due to a glitch and Torb and Kiriko are not allowed in competitive and I've seen some people who their competitive matching has not worked at all where they win all seven games and get placed in Bronze 4. There's a lot of stuff dealing with this. But if we yeah. take that out of account, the biggest argument I've seen is that Overwatch 2 is not nearly as much of a sequel as not only they were pushing but as we were expecting see i feel like people are still forgetting that there is going to be a whole paid story coming with overwatch 2 and that they just pushed out the pvp and that's it which i still feel like they should have waited until they finished the story to actually release overwatch 2 
but you still gotta keep that into account when you come when it's the sequel yeah yeah i definitely agree i'm very excited to see it like the pvp aspect of this my one of my favorite things about overwatch is the characters and the little banter that happens before matches or the couple little pve quests or missions that we got in the first one um i've never i haven't heard uh of that take that they should have waited with the pvp but honestly i agree um i feel like people would have received overwatch 2 a lot better and honestly with the pve maybe more people would be excited and would be not worried about the pvp aspect yeah because so far we know little to nothing about the pve and that's that's what's worrying me right now is that the pve that most likely it's going to be worth 60 dollars i'd say it's not going to live up to it to, to the hype I mean, the hype's already gone, to be honest here. Yeah, that's a great point as well. Overwatch, like the PvP just coming out and pretty much just being Overwatch minus a tank is definitely a big blow to um, Overwatch fans and their hype towards the game. And I hope that the PvP, or I'm sorry, I hope that the PvE is good enough that it'll get fans re-energized and feeling great and hopefully there's enough replay value and enough new stuff that it's not just the missions that we got in Overwatch 1. I hope so. I really do hope so. Yeah. Um, well, I, I know I'm going to still probably keep playing Overwatch 2 for a bit. Um, thankfully, it's free on all platforms, so for the first time, we actually have a full team of five. Uh, assuming our one friend is still kind of enjoying <laughs> it. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, but the other thing that I know we've both kind of been playing and watching is the recent release of Cyberpunk 2077 Edge Runners by Studio Trigger. Oh, don't remind me, man. I'm still hurt. I'm still heartbroken. I have been warning my friends and stuff. I'm like, you need to check this out, but just be prepared for that last episode. And honestly, the whole hmm. series, like, there's just, there's moments that hit yeah. so hard. Um, but honestly, as of right now, it is not only one of my favorite, like, animes of the year, it might be one of my favorite of all time. I'm going through a second watch right now, and it just hits so hard. It Honestly, I think it's a better depiction of Night City than the game. Definitely, yeah. It definitely shows how how bleak the future is. At least in Night City, how bleak the future is. Like, it's really amazing to see how this one show has like reinvigorated the whole cyberpunk community and has gotten so many more players to actually try the game out. Even now that it's all fixed and stuff. Or quote-unquote fixed and stuff. Yeah. So it's great, honestly more people can ex enjoy Night City and all the side quests and experience the witty banter from Johnny Silverhand. Yeah, he's honestly counter Reeves. I'm playing through Cyberpunk like here and there, just kind of checking it in. I got totally wrapped into all the hype about it. Um, I don't think I'm going to finish the second playthrough, but Keanu Reeves killed it with Johnny Silverhand in my mind. Uh, I think it's one of his 
I hope that he sticks with more games because I feel like he's one of the best video game characters that I've seen. It's like Keanu Reeves can play himself and still give you an insane performance. It's just remarkable what he can, what he can do. I heard he, he's um. They're also considering. I think he said he wanted to be um in a Marvel movie, Ghost Rider. He's gonna be Ghost Rider in the future. That's what Yo. people are saying he's gonna be. Yeah. I'm I'm excited awesome. to see that. It's true. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, he's long overdue to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, which, speaking of which, this is a pretty good transition to She-Hulk, which I know you haven't been watching. Um, yeah, it's been off and on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been watching, and I know another Geek Wave content creator named Eric uh, he's been watching and I feel like I think he's been doing some weekly reviews of that as well um, I have not double checked on this with him but if he didn't give the last episode at least a 9 out of 10 we are going <laughs> to have words because I guess spoilers it's kind of all over promotional material so I apologize Daredevil was brought in and I am a big Daredevil fan and they're chemistry between She-Hulk and I'm forgetting the actress's name I apologize but the chemistry between those two characters was amazing the fourth wall breaks were clever and great the ending was a perfect cliffhanger for what hopefully will be a good finale which I believe will be coming out tonight or tomorrow um yeah I absolutely loved that episode I know you can't really comment too much on it unless you have something that you kind of think of uh, i mean i've seen like the first couple episodes of she hulk it, it wasn't bad it wasn't anything too crazy i just wish marvel would slow down their pace i guess Cause before it was just movies about what two a year i'd say at most but now it feels like you have to watch the movies and then watch at least three tv shows next to the movies just to keep up and it's just I wish they would show something in the movies that actually would hype me up for like who the next big bad is. Because so far, we haven't really seen anything. And it's just boring, I guess, overall to watch. Yeah. No, I was explaining to our friend Daniel, who hopefully will be on a future episode, um, I am more watching these series out of obligation uh, more than anything um, because I am a big Marvel fan. I've watched pretty much everything. Um, and I'm, in, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. I think Secret Wars is going to be great if they handle it correctly. Um, but I, th I agree. I think the only thing that we've seen is from Loki. Uh, the I don't remember his name. I think He Who Remains or something. Um, we've gotten like a tiny tease about the villain from that. But I really hope that they kind of create that same sort of feeling that Marvel like the first half before Endgame kind of felt where the last couple of movies you could just tell it was building and building and then finally with Infinity War and Endgame it just popped off and everything that they had been building towards was great tons of action tons of connect, like character relationships that we didn't expect and just stuff like that yeah I know with the Eternals, at least. I mean, that movie was... Oof, oof. But the ending, at least, they they um, they kind of 
snuck in a little peek of uh, Galactus, which not really a villain, but he's definitely a big force in the Marvel Universe. And I hope they actually flesh him out a bit more. Because Multiverse of Madness didn't go, in, go into him at all. Um, no Way Home didn't go into him at all. It was It's just weird only seeing him once and then not seeing anything else related to him in the later movies. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the biggest thing is with Marvel giving all these movies to different directors, each movie is like good in its own right, some better than others, but because they all have all this creative liberty, it doesn't feel like one collective thing. Um, Like one thing is building up Galactus, one thing is building up the Watcher and Kang, the other thing's building up uh, the Kree, or I'm sorry, the Scroll, um, and just it feels very disconnected. Uh, as I think I was explaining to a friend, it feels like they're trying to build up the Young Avengers and Secret Wars and Multiverse, and like they just need to focus on either one or do a better job of making everything feel discombobulated. I, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, because I know with I think with Phase One, Two, and Three, it was all separate stories. But at the end of the day, it all revolved on the Infinity Stones, which eventually led to Thanos, which is, a, I think it was a really good, uh, really good point of Phase 1, 2, and 3. Phase 4, kind of rough right now. Phase 5, I'm hoping for the best. Yeah. I really hope that we get the same Marvel that we grew to love. Um, not saying, like, Phase 4 has definitely not been the best. There have been some great moments. Miss Marvel, in my opinion, was awesome. Um, as like you know a total white Christian male not being able to see a lot being able to see Pakistani culture in such a different light was awesome to see Um, Mm -hmm. and little stuff like that but other than that She-Hulk's been off and on Um, I can't even remember the other Moon Knight I guess was middling I know people love it but I I just it did not meet my expectations Um, Hopefully we see them get back. I really like Shang-Chi. I hope they uh, show more of uh, him and his character and what the rings are going to do in the future. Yeah, that I'm trying to think of what other movies. I guess No Way Home, but Shang-Chi was probably my favorite movie of Phase 4. Um, I really vibe with it. Simu Liu is a great actor. I loved him in uh, a sitcom, Kim's Convenience, which is a great one. Everyone should check out. Um, just little stuff like that. Yeah, I really hope we get to see more of him. Uh, finishing off this kind of second section about what we've been playing and what we've been watching, um, I kind of teased this beforehand, but uh, after a couple months in the waiting, I was able to get a Steam Deck. Um, which, if you're not aware, is basically Valve's new handheld. And I won't spend too much time on this, but if anyone is able to afford it, I think it's a great purchase. Even myself, I wasn't able to afford it. I'm working a lot of DoorDash shifts to be able to make sure I can get next uh, tuition. But being able to emulate all sorts of games, uh, like I said before, I'm able to emulate Kid Icarus and fine-tune the controls so it feels good. I've been playing through Metal Gear Solid 1 on it, and that's, what a game. Like, it aged very well. (laughs) Um, And just little things like that. It's a really fun device. And how much did it cost now? 
Because I might consider getting one myself. Uh, it cost four hundred dollars. Okay, um, never mind. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, which I kind of feel silly because I finally got through the queue and I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" It took a couple months. I don't know when the queue is going to be available next, so I'm just going to buy it. And then I believe two or three weeks later, they said, "Hey, we're not doing the <laughs> queue anymore. If you want it, you can buy it." And and I honestly don't think I would have bought it if there wasn't the queue. So they wrote me in with that one, but I've been enjoying it. I do want to hear more about your games, so Jackson. What what games have you been playing so far this week? This week, um, I mean, like I said, Steam Deck. Uh, I've been using. Uh, or I've been playing Kid Icarus Uprising. Uh, I've been playing Metal Gear Solid 1. Uh, I've been trying to play the original God of War to get ready for Ragnarok, but something's up, or the memory card or something. <laughs> it's, it's not working for me. Uh-oh. But I guess one thing that I'll touch on, uh, we are actually on the Crimson Splatoon 3 esports team. Uh, so I've been doing some practice for that. We have a tournament coming up, I believe, We've got a scrim, uh, like a scrimmage on Saturday and a tournament on Sunday, um, which I feel like Splatoon 3 is a very underrated game, like in that perspective of professional esports and stuff like that. It's huge in Japan. I I just saw a remark that almost 70% of the physical games bought in Japan were Splatoon 3 for the past month. so obviously they know what they're doing over there um but i feel like it's a very a lot of kid people look at it and look oh it's just a a kid's shooter um why would why would there be any strategy in that but once you start getting into it and you kind of learn how it all works there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that make it work whether it's gear whether it's team synergy whether it's comms um just little things like that um yeah i wish i definitely wish here in the west it was a bit more popular because yeah you said people see it as a kid shooter but at the same time i feel like i see more adults on splatoon 2 and splatoon 3 and more kids on games like cod i, I just wish more people would hop on splatoon bandwagon and uh play competitively like you in japan yeah, I think with the release of 3, we definitely saw a huge resurgence of people who maybe didn't vibe with 2 or didn't even hop into Splatoon at all. Um, and they came in, and I feel like a lot of them were like, oh, you know what, this is this is actually a pretty good game. There's, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to see that. I really, I am of the opinion that a lot of people argue, same thing with Overwatch 1 to 2, that Splatoon 3 didn't really do much to elevate it beyond the second one Um, and I hold pretty strong that it's actually a very good sequel and that the whole reason that they're doing this is to create more of a live service type model obviously Nintendo is going to be weird and they're not going to make it full live (laughs) service but we're already seeing with like I think we've got the second Splatfest coming up soon we've got a salmon run event happening sometime this month and we've got new maps coming soon. I believe new weapons should be coming in December. They're really doing a good job of supporting it. And 
keeping it in our play time, I guess. Yeah. I feel like the best part of Splatoon, besides the gameplay, is just how much it can excite the community with, um, with the Splatfest, specifically. So I know Splatoon 2 Splatfests, I think they had, what, Spongebob vs. Patrick one time, mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, four-way Splatfest. And now that we have three-way Splatfest being the norm now, I'm excited to see what more they can do to make the arguments on Twitter more fierce. So who are you going to defend now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like the, the arguments with the latest one of gear, grub, and fun were more silly than anything because obviously the answer is gear. But the people that were making the arguments for grub and fun were honestly just having fun with their arguments. Um <laughs> And I was going to choose Grub, but because everybody else was going gear, I chose gear, and I appreciate that. I got a lot of yeah. a lot of sea snails. I'm the two-time winner of Splatfest over here. And I believe the next one is going to be the Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon, yeah. Yeah. Do you know which one you're going to choose? Uh, so me, personally, I'm not all in on Pokemon. But... Of the current starter Pokemon that I've seen so far, I'm kind of digging um the water type, Quaxley. He has the hair. I like the hairdo. It's better than that green cat. And I have to admit, the uh, the apple dinosaur, it is pretty cute. But it just can't compete with the hair. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to, you know, disregard your argument, but is that, the, is that the Trump duck? The one that's got the Trump hair? I mean, I mean, it's I wouldn't really call it Trump here. I mean, it slicks back a little bit, but okay. Come See, on, now. you ain't got to do something like that. <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's Twitter. It's what am I gonna do if I see an mm. image from mm. Twitter of Quaxley next to Trump? What, what am I gonna do? Yeah, personally, we will definitely have a Pokemon fan on the podcast at some point. Um, <laughs> me personally, I could not care less about Pokemon. Uh, I just, it's never vibed with me. I've kind of tried it with some of the older games, uh, the Game Boy ones specifically, I think like Fire Red, uh, Leaf Green, or whatever the ones are. I'm hoping maybe Scarlet and Violet will get me in with the kind of open world nature sort of style like Arceus. Um, but I'm probably just going to choose whichever one my friends choose, and we'll just stick with that. I could care less. Yeah. Hopefully win. I know I'm I'm definitely looking forward to the open worldness of Scarlet and Violet because Sword and Shield it's it's just like a very weird hybrid like to have linear sections in like the main town areas but they also have the wild areas that just I can see what they were going for but it just feels so empty and barren I hope that for Scarlet and Violet, the open world actually feels full and lively with Pokemon. And people, too, at least. Yeah, and it looks like they kind of made some advancements with that. With Arceus, like I said, I haven't played it, but from the gameplay I've seen, it looked like the open world was roaming with all sorts of different Pokemon, all with different, like, natures and tendencies. Um, and, I mean, Scarlet and Violet, I've heard, should be incorporating some of that into their game. I guess we'll see when it comes out. Um, I I hope so. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me with Pokemon is just it feels like a 
uh, HD, and by HD I mean like 720p <laughs> version of the Game Boy game, and they haven't made enough of a change between those games to really warrant me coming back. Yeah, I know the jump from uh, at least the Game Boy games to the DS games, and from the DS games to the 3DS games were definitely pretty good jumps, I would argue. But going from a 3DS game to a Switch game, they kind of fumbled the bag with Sword and Shield. It just looked like a H, not, not even HD. I guess a slightly better looking 3DS game on a higher resolution, but that was really it. Yeah. I know the current, uh, at least from what I've seen in Skyrim, but the, it looks definitely a little bit better than um, Sword and Shield, but the models could still use a little bit of work. I wish they actually have animations for the Pokemon moves like they do in like, the Coliseum games of Pokemon. Yeah, that would be uh, awesome. Like, uh, I guess te technically the only Pokemon game I played, uh, which is, of course, very different, but was Pokemon Tournament. Um, which I actually kind of vibed with uh, just being able to see the same sort of turn-based moves in an actual fighting sense was cool and even if you're not like actually playing the Pokemon during these fights just being able to see those types of animations would be a lot better and make probably make it a lot more interesting yeah the game feel alive at least yeah kind of going back to Dragon Quest at least <laughs> <laughs> From going from a, a completely 2D Dragon Quest game to a 3D, they definitely made the, your moves feel really powerful. They had the characters spinning, doing flips, charging up their swords. It made you feel like, oof, this move's going to hurt. And if it misses, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I think with Dragon Quest XI, uh, you'll have to remind me, but teammate attacks is that what kind of what they were yeah the the pet powers pet powers those they, were so fun yeah i hope they bring back those kind of like team attacks in um 12 too yeah they, i mean they have to you know like i feel like that was a really good i don't know if they were in 10 or any of the previous entries but the animations that went into them and just how cool and powerful they felt were really like every time i got to use one i was instantly pushing them just because even if they didn't work in the scenario or if they didn't do as much damage as I was expecting I was satisfied either way yeah, pet powers were a pretty good mechanic in 11 I'd argue and uh, one other game that I kind of touch on because um, there's been a lot of discourse around it uh, it's a little bit uh -oh. older uh, The Last of Us Part 1 no. you know I have to talk about The Last of Us <laughs> um, I am a very big Last of Us fan. I like both one and two. Uh, in fact, I like two more than one um, by like a considerable margin without getting into spoilers, of course. Um, that being said, I really like part one. I am of the opinion that it is not worth the $70 unless you are a fan or if you have never played the game before. Um, I think that the animation changes are really good. The new models that were built from the ground up, the cinematic tendencies are very well done. Um, it made me made me appreciate the already masterful story from the first one a lot more by just being able to see tiny little changes in the 
actors' performances being able to be captured better with the new technology. Um, that, like I said, I do not think that it was worth $70. I even bought the Firefly edition, which of course I'm going to do that. I bought the Last of Us Part Two collector's edition. If you are a fan, I definitely recommend it. If you are not, or if you're like not sure about buying it, I would say wait. Maybe get it on PC if you've got a very good PC. Maybe wait until the show comes out and you're feeling more energized to play it. Or if there's a deal or a sale, which PlayStation's usually pretty good. I believe Last of Us Part Two is down to like 20 most, if not all the time, most of the time. So just give it some time, but I guarantee that at that point it will be worth it and you will have a good experience with it. You know, speaking of, um, at least with PlayStation games, them porting over games and completely redoing them. I know they deal with um, with Spider-Man too as well. You think that's going to happen with more games in the future? More PS4 exclusives being um, remade for PS5? So this is a great segue to a more recent uh, news thing. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn is apparently getting a remastered version which was kind of, it's kind of an unex- a very unexpected uh, thing hmm. with Horizon Forbidden West coming out just earlier this year Horizon for uh, sorry Horizon uh, Zero Dawn coming out in 2017 um, it definitely does not look like a bad game like it doesn't look bad it looks great it runs well on the PS4 and on the PS5 with a 60 FPS update um, that's apparently coming soon. However, I think all of the kids on Twitter are getting a little heated for no real good reason. Um, mostly because, <laughs> as you said, Spider-Man Remastered. That came out. It was a free update. It actually it might have been like $10, but it was a very well done update. Uh, it convinced me to play through the game again with the ray tracing and the 60 frames per second and while they changed up the main actor's face to be more Peter Parkery, which is debatable I think that that's the same sort of thing that they're going to be doing with Horizon Zero Dawn with this remaster they're just going to change up a couple things probably it will not be worth the $70 that The Last of Us remake was which I kind of want to emphasize that the Last of Us Part 1 was a remake by Sony. This is just going to be a remaster, so it'll probably only be $10, unless Sony really wants to shoot themselves in the foot. Um, but I don't seem, think that they're going to do that. It's interesting to see how uh, how Sony and Microsoft handle uh, transferring their older games to newer games. I know with Sony, yeah, they are remaking these games on a new engine completely with the Xbox, they're they aren't really remaking them but they're more so upgrading your current games to be more compatible with xns which i find to be very uh i don't want to say it's bad but it's it's a little questionable for some games i know they upgraded sonic generations and unleashed and those games looked beautiful but for some games like apex legends I don't know if it was Xbox's fault or uh, Respawn's fault, but it just didn't really change too much, in my opinion, when they upgraded it. So I hope they make more substantial changes on Xbox's end. 
in the future. Yeah, they have their, I believe it's smart delivery and like FPS boost, um, which I haven't, I don't have an Xbox Series X. Uh, I do have a PS5, but I haven't gone to a kind of experiment with that nearly as much, but I've heard mixed opinions. Um, they even have been going back and doing some like Xbox original games. Yeah. Uh, apparently those are very well done. Um, with your example of Apex, I feel like the the only change was that it was a stable 60 frames per second. Yeah. It's, it's just tough with some of that. Like this whole, this generation of not being, not warranting enough of an upgrade to charge a completely new price or to really have that much gameplay changes besides just 4K 60 frames per second. It makes it really interesting and I definitely think Xbox is handling it better than PlayStation um, but it's just weird overall like at least it's free it's a free upgrade you don't have to pay $70 for an upgraded version of the game you already have yeah which I don't some people are willing to spend the $70 and other people are not but I think everyone can agree free is going to be better no matter what you know but this whole kind of tendency, I feel like most of the games that we know are now remakes or remasters or stuff like that, and the amount of new games are kind of becoming lower, yeah, and like less frequent and stuff like that. Yeah, but I feel I feel like if you remake the game enough and it's turned out to be really good, I think it might be okay to excuse them not losing a new game. So I know, at least for the Wii U, and I know no one here had a Wii U, okay, boohoo, <laughs> but they remade two Zelda games, and they're, they're both like the definitive way of playing the game now, alongside even Breath of the Wild after six or so years. It, I just wish more game devs took some notes off of what Nintendo was doing during the 3DS Wii U era, because even alongside the Wii U parts of Wind Waker, Twilight Princess. They also had the 3DS ports of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask alongside working with uh, Link, Be Link Between Worlds. Yeah, Link Between Worlds. So Nintendo has been pumping out new games alongside remaking older games, making them optimal, which I, I feel like it's just really impressive that more people need to take note of that, of what to do. Yeah, I mean, even with the Switch generation, as we see right now, they're doing a great job of, we've got Breath of the Wild, we've got Mario Odyssey, like these new games, but they're still, in this case, they're kind of bringing over the Wii U ports that they spent time on. But I believe, I mean, this is still a rumor and a leak, but Metroid Prime Remastered will be coming soon. Um, I believe they did even like a wonderful 101 remaster uh, was brought onto the Switch, which that's like an underrated gem of the Wii U mm -hmm. era. Um, all sorts of stuff like N Nintendo is definitely they got some weird decisions um, but I think nobody would argue that Nintendo's actual games and how they approach that side is very well done I feel like more people keep on being too focused on ooh FPS ooh frame rates oh boy has to be 4k but then they get like a really mid game like Battlefield and they just they keep on sleeping on oh look at this 
Nintendo game, sure, it's running at a questionable 30 FPS, but it's still a game that you can play for hundreds of hours on end, nonstop, at lower quality. It just surprises me sometimes. Yeah, I mean, even just looking recently between, like, uh, Overwatch 2 and Splatoon 3, right? Splatoon 3 is on the same system. It's basically running maybe a little bit better, um, like with a l- maybe better textures and materials. I feel like the paint looks a lot better, which is a weird thing to say, but the Splatoon 3 paint does look better. But comparing that to Overwatch, where the changes are, I think they literally only did, like, I mean, obviously it depends on what s- setup you've got, but I've heard that the changes are not nearly as much, and from just a visual standpoint and at the end of the day I feel like a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on the visuals and not nearly as much on the gameplay see I feel like it's more of a switch problem like they're they're building you know Overwatch and I think it's also um, Skyrim also they're building all these games for like stronger consoles and PC but then pointing them to switch they have to cut down the quality to keep it actually playable. Meanwhile, Nintendo, they're building the game for the Switch, so they know how to optimize what to do, how to make it look good, how to make it play well. And it's just, it's interesting to see how two different sides are approaching using the Switch to the fullest. I'm not sure if Nintendo should make a stronger Switch, or if game devs should just completely stop porting games to Switch overall, but it's it's definitely interesting. I mean, yeah, you say that. Uh, also, I just was reminded, Nier Automata just got the Switch port, and apparently that's very well done considering the Switch. Um, so, honestly, I, I know the Switch is a less powerful system, and it can definitely be harder to port. Um, but if you do it well, I honestly don't see too much of a problem. Um, and if most of the people that will be pl- buying those games on Switch probably don't have another way to play those games. They don't own a PS5, which has been hard to get, or a Series X, and the Switch is their primary system, and they like like they want to play those types of games. Um, and so the ports like Persona 5 and Persona 4 and 3, which will be coming out soon, a lot of people, a lot of Persona fans get to play Persona for the first time, and it'll be great. Oh, going back to Nier, I know uh, it's developed by Platinum, Platinum Games, I believe, right? Yes. And I know they have a really good history of, um, at least with Nintendo games. I'm pretty sure they what they made pers- they made a Bayonetta two for the Wii U. Mm-hmm. They ported Bayonetta one for the um, Switch. They're making they ported Bayonetta two for Switch as well. Baking Bayonetta three, Wonderful 101 Wii U and Switch now. So I feel like if if the company knows their way around Nintendo's hardware, they can make a stellar game, they can port a stellar game on there. But Blizzard, they've never worked the Switch stuff, never worked Nintendo, so I can see how they struggled with that Overwatch too. Yeah, I mean, even look at um, Astral Chain as well. It's a game developed specifically for the Switch uh, by Platinum, and I felt like that was like really good. The art style really carried it, and... I, I don't remember any performance problems from that. Yeah. Um, they even have Bayonetta 3 coming out. Um, 
and it's ironic that we're saying all this because Platinum came out, I believe, yesterday and announced that after Babylon's fall, they kind of don't want to create those types of games. And that feels ironic to me because that's one of the first games that's been published not on a Switch, and it bombed, and it had, I think, a month after release, it had five players, uh, and that was it, like five concurrent players. Um, So it's funny to see that. You know, they took like the near combat and they just I think they took the story out of it so it just felt like an empty hack and slash that also had live service elements or something I don't quite remember I just remember watching a couple reviews and being like yeah this looks probably like Platinum's worst game I can't think of another one that's been that bad um, yeah, I can only think of like the original Nier, which even then it's not a bad game. It's just on older hardware. <laughs> yeah, I mean even that got a, uh, I don't know if it was a remake or a remaster with version. Yeah, remaster. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, I mean, Bayonetta three looks to be really interesting. I actually Bayonetta one is on, uh, sale for like two dollars on Steam, so I picked that up so to be able to play that maybe in preparation for Bayonetta 3. Uh, We'll see what ends up happening. Um, I might honestly just be too concerned with this tiny little game you might have heard of called uh, God of War Ragnarok. Uh, Oh, boy. (laughs) That's going to be quite a game. So finishing off this episode, um, Michael, we kind of want to touch on whatever game you feel passionate about. Um, I think we mentioned before... Is it Dragon Quest? Is it Kid Icarus? We've got a lot of options. All right. Well, Kid Icarus Uprising. It is my favorite game. One of Sakurai's sleeper gems that I feel like more people need to play. Praying gets forward to the Switch. But I will have to say that Dragon Quest Three, it might be one of the games of all time. It hit the world by storm, and it kind of just revolutionized RPGs, specifically, I think, turn-based and JRPGs in general for, I guess, the rest of time. That's It's the game you should look to for uh, what to do right, especially for an NES game. Golly, that was on NES. That's crazy. I thought it was on, like, SNES. Um, so what... You kind of touched on this, how it revolutionized a lot of the JRPGs that we love today and RPGs in general. What are kind of the systems that you point out specifically for that? I believe it was the first RPG to actually have like a party of four in there. Because it's crazy to think about, like, by the time Dragon Quest Three came out, the first Final Fantasy game was coming out. That's And that just surprised me a little bit. That, that Dragon Quest predates Final Fantasy a little bit. But not only that, but they in Dragon Quest 3 for an NES game, there's a surprisingly large amount of custom ability for your character and your party. Because not only can you choose the character's class, but you can also choose the gender of their class, which affects stat boosts and everything. But then you can also choose the personality of the person in the class which affects stat growth and I believe also what weapons they can use I know some weapons are um, 
locked people with certain personality traits. I know there's a sword in the game that only women can use. And I think there's an axe in the game only men can use, which is early in the game doesn't matter too much, but late in the game, you're going to be wishing you had a boy on your team or a girl on your team. And with all this custom ability, right, there's so much replay value there. Because you can go in one time with a standard team of, oh, hero, healer, black mage, dark mage. And the next time you can go, oh, I want a merchant. I want money. I want a clown on my side. I want to be a little risky. It's just, it's surprising how much stuff they put in this one NES RPG that it's still being ported to this day to so many other consoles. Like, they, they, they just won't let this game die because it can't die. Yeah, hearing that, it's kind of crazy. Like, even thinking about Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which is a game we both love, you basically just described the class system in an NES game where each thing kind of does its own thing and you sometimes want different classes for different things. Um, the personality thing is honestly a great idea. I mean, I feel like that's only in, I believe, Bravely Default has a similar system like that. Uh, actually, no, they don't. They only have a class system. They don't have a personality system, which interesting. is interesting. I wish, I wish more games nowadays have more custom customization of the characters. But sadly, at the same time, though, because your characters are not, you know, set in stone, you can customize them, there isn't really a strong connection to those characters, which is definitely a fault of Dragon Quest Three. But then again, it's an NES game. Even Dragon Quest Two didn't have characters you connect to too much. But I know for Dragon Quest Three, at least, it set the stone for what each Dragon Quest game should be in the future. And nowadays we have characters in Dragon Quest that you have to connect to, like especially in Dragon Quest Eleven, Silvando. Mm. Oh my goodness! What a character! That's how you write a character right there. What a character, man! He was yeah. the easily the best. I, what a, I mean, maybe need to play Dragon Quest Eleven again. Yeah. If you, anyone out there who has Xbox Game Pass, Dragon Quest Eleven is on Game Pass right now. Please play it. You you aren't you you're gonna miss out on a great story, great game, before it's gone. Please. You have a Switch, get it on Switch. It's portable. You have a 3DS, get it on 3DS. It's on 3DS too. You pretty much have Please no excuse. It. Just just yes. play Dragon Quest Eleven. It's a great game. Um, and then I think Dragon Quest Twelve, hopefully coming out next year. Uh, we haven't seen anything hopefully. about it. But. Yeah. Do you have, I mean, they've only announced, like, it's going to have a darker tone. It might stray away from the turn-based combat. Um, do you kind of have any hopes, fears, stuff like that for the 12th one coming up? Um, see, if it's straying away from the turn-based combat, then I might be willing to argue it's going to be a bit more like Dragon Quest X, where it's like... It's a lot like, um, like it's kind of like Chrono Trigger, where you have a meter that fills up, and eventually, once the meter's full, you can do an action, and all your partners have a different meter, different rate for which they charge up their uh, action meter, and you can move around the battlefield too while you uh, fight, 
you can even push enemies back in Dragon Quest Seven, which is I think is a really good feature if you want to defend your healer or something like that. But if they do use that, I hope it's a bit more uh, fleshed out, and I have I have high hopes for it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. The remind me, Dragon Quest Ten that is the MMO style game. Yeah. Right? Okay. Dragon Quest Ten is MMO style game. Sadly, it is exclusive to Japan. But if you know your way around Japanese Amazon, <laughs> you can uh, get in there. It's crazy to me that you're like, oh, I don't know Japanese, but I'm playing Dragon Quest Ten pretty much on the weekly basis. It looks like. Yeah. And the fan base is strong enough that they have they've built programs to actually translate the game for you so you can play if you want to sadly it is like a subscription service so you have to pay like ten dollars a month or so to play it but i promise you it's a good game and yeah hopefully we get to see that sort of style combat in 12. i feel like we talk about xenoblade chronicles 3 a lot um but that really nailed a cool balance between turn-based and real-time combat in sort of an MMO style thing um, and as we've seen it's done very well I think pretty highly rated um, JRPG and honestly in my mind it's one of the best combat systems I've used in a JRPG so I hope Dragon Quest 12 takes kind of some notes from that um, but in my opinion don't stray too far from don't like try to change up the format so much that you ruin what makes Dragon Quest Dragon Quest. Yeah. Yeah, the the best part about Dragon Quest is that it's a simple yet slightly complex combat system that anyone can get into. It's a great beginner friendly JRPG game. But yeah, I think we're going to end it off there. So thank you so much for sticking with us and listening all the way through. Uh, once again, if you would like to be on the podcast, uh, make sure to email me once again at j.day at studentmedia.com or you can message me on our Discord site. I'm pretty much in all of the U of U Discord servers. So if you find me, I'll be under the content creator role uh, as Awesome Jacks. Um, and then, yeah, feel free to leave a review, a comment, give us a rating on your podcasting service of choice subscribe to whatever you can all the usual stuff and let us know how we did let us know what we can improve on what you liked what you didn't like what you want to see and hear what you want us to talk more about less about um stuff like that so thank you so much for coming today michael no problem that's what that's i do best yeah it was great to talk to you um and we will see you guys later thanks again